0: i i really enjoyed the photo that you posted to instagram yesterday it was just so mm. like you just looked like you were gonna go on a spy mission or something i don't know it was just <laughs> really cool
1: thanks yeah no i'm uh again that's something where like i realize that doing that kind of stuff is a necessary evil to promote both of my businesses um mm. but you know as we've talked about recently just you know, my confidence just hasn't been there. Right. Um, and and so, yeah, so I'm just trying to kind of be more um, deliberate about that stuff, both as, uh, again, just kind of promotion, but also mm-hmm. because, you know, it's nice to post a picture of yourself looking good and get a little bit of nice feedback from your friends. And, you know, mm-hmm. we all need a little bit of an ego stroke once in a while, so. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's good to yeah. have that boost, right? Absolutely. And especially, you know, the year that, year and a half that everyone's been through with the pandemic and, you know, the extra layers that you've been contending with, you know, in terms of your right. career and the and the discovery of your neurodivergent brain. And mm-hmm. it, there's, there's so much going on, right? So yeah, yes. I'm glad that you can find some joy and a little bit, you know, a little delight. I'm Robbie McDonald.
1: And I'm Jordan Lane.
0: We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife.
1: Holy shit, I Have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD.
0: This is a podcast about ADHD hosted by two
1: people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process.
0: We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife.
1: If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. Yeah. How's your week going?
0: Uh, really good, actually. I was um, playing in what I'm now calling my balcony farm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i got a little got some tomatoes out there, and I have the three peas, pansies, petunias, and primrose, mm. so that's exciting. I thought Something that, I never thought of being new.
1: But... <laughs> I thought the peas were going to be one of the peas.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I actually don't have any peas. I do have some uh, Kentucky yellow beans so mm. that I'm trying for the first time that are supposedly going to go up the side of the trellis yeah and i may have kind of over like you know i've got limited space right so i'm trying to be vertical with things but i i get excited and then i just plant all the seeds and then i forgot that i already planted something because i don't have any strategy around this it's just like (laughs) i'm getting my hands dirty this is fun look at the green things growing this is so exciting i'm going to put some more stuff in there and then i realize oh but there's already something in there that's going to crowd it out or maybe they don't maybe they don't really get along and maybe that was a mistake or I don't know. But I did find out that I can use my coffee grounds around the base of my tomatoes and that prevents slugs. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, there's some nasty-ass slugs in this town. I don't know if you, if, if, do, do we have slugs in Calgary? Remember, some, but not
1: thing. not as many as kind of like more humid areas, I feel like, so.
0: Yeah. yeah, sometimes you'll be walking along and you'll just see this like trail of slime on the sidewalk. <laughs> it's just like, uh, and then you'll see all these like holes that have been like chewed off of foliage in they're in. oh man yeah those things are just nasty i don't, know why. I don't mind snails but slugs can fuck right off <laughs> just like, freak me
1: out <laughs> i have heard um that if you put like a shallow container of beer out uh slugs really like that they crawl in and they drown subsequently so you know you've got a little huh. bit of um uh uh corpses to deal with after you
0: have
1: to (laughs) weigh the consequences of your
0: actions (laughs) slug graveyard yeah i'm trying not to kill things if i can help it i just want them to not be around (laughs) (laughs) i don't know like the whole buddhist thing like sometimes i do kill those little fungus gnats they just like they dart around they fly in really unpredictable ways and they're small and weird and they don't cause any harm they're just annoying but if I see one on the wall, I will squish it. <laughs> and I know that's not very Buddhist, but whatever. I'm okay with that. Same with wasps. Wasps are just assholes, so I don't I don't care. Right. My my friend is like, they're just trying to live. I'm like, yeah, and they don't serve any purpose. All they do is run around biting everybody. Like I just bees are another thing, you know? They make honey and they pollinate and they're kinda cute and fuzzy, but wasps, no, thank you. So I have one of those like little wasp like a fake wasp nest. Right. So that they don't come around, and anytime I see them flying around, I'm like, "Hey, <laughs> get out of here!"
1: <laughs> there was um, a couple of years ago we had a wasp uh, nest that they built inside the bulkhead of our living room. Um, so like, they there was a little crack kind of in the stucco on the outside of the house, and they snuck in there and built this fucking nest and had this whole colony uh. going, and I had no idea, and so. This one day, um, I heard this crash and I come downstairs and, uh, this little hanging planter had fallen out of the ceiling and then I was looking up and I was like, what the fuck? Why is the ceiling sagging? Like what the hell is going on? And then I could hear oh just like this low grade buzz and I was just like, fuck, oh my God, it's full of wasps. So I ended up like, cause, so it's over just like right in our living room, kind of, there's this little bulkhead, uh, where the, um kind of i I guess like the the part of the window upstairs that juts out that's where like kind of the the base of it is like where the timbers for the frame are um Mm -hmm. and so there is basically nothing but this this thinning rapidly thinning layer of drywall between us and this wasp colony Um, and it turns out that they eat drywall uh they they use it as material to build their nests and so they were specifically like, like like scraping at the drywall on the bulkhead. So I was like, fuck, I, I can't deal with this today. Um, so I ended up like taping all of this cardboard around the bulkhead. Uh, just, just like two layers thick of this heavy-duty cardboard and, and like just packing tape all over the place to kind of like, okay, this will at least give them some more shit to chew through for like the next day while I go out and get, um, you know, wasp cans and all this stuff. Because, uh, yeah, I was just like, I was just so fearful of the possibility of just, like, middle of the night, they fucking get through, and then it's, like, this, it's 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 us and three cats versus this fucking wasp colony. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so, uh, anyway, I ended up, like, um, getting a ladder and getting, like, three cans of that foam killer and putting on like a full set of coveralls and then this big like north face shell over top and the hood just cinched down to like the tiniest mm. little view window basically like my diy hazmat suit and mm. went up on the ladder and just fucking put the little straw in and started pumping these cans in and of course like immediately the wasps start flying out of every single crack and the hive just like. It goes from a low-grade buzzing to an extremely frenzied one. And then it slowly starts to die off as the wasps do. And all I hear is this kind of like tick, 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 of all the, like, the wasps just dropping and, and falling oh uh, to, to the base of the bulkhead. And then so, you know, over the next couple days, I think I put another can in there, like, each day. Just total overkill, just to make fucking sure that <laughs> when I opened up the ceiling in my <laughs> living room, I wasn't going to have... i was gonna have a lot of fucking corpses to deal with but not like something Mm. really unpleasant um so yeah so wasps are not to be fucking trifled with uh no they're not i did get a couple of stings um in the process of doing that but again my my little what the hell's the word i'm looking for um protective gear uh helps me Mm -hmm. out a lot so yeah (laughs) your
0: little hazmat suit i think uh yeah, I mean I didn't I wasn't bit for a really long time and it's funny that you mentioned that because I didn't realize that what happened uh in my old place in East Van I could hear it was actually as voldo when we were first seeing each other he started pointing out that doesn't there a weird buzzing thing? and I actually thought it was in my head mm. because I often can I often pick up on the buzzes of yeah, electronics absolutely. and apparently that's an yeah, that's a a neurodivergent mm-hmm. thing and some people say I don't hear anything and I'm like yeah, but my like everything's buzzing. Like I could I could feel computers buzzing in proximity to me, and so I thought it was something like that, right? And then he was like, No, no, that's 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 organic. There's something going on in your wall. And sure enough, because the the wall next to my bed was an outside wall, and uh, yeah, there was there were wasps in there, and the landlord took care of it right away. And I, you know, it happened while I was at work, so I didn't know. But um, I've lived in fear for wasps since getting stung by a whole nest of them when I was a kid. Oh, and but it's been years since I've been stung, but I always had this fear around them, and then, sure enough, last year we decided to go camping in August, and yeah, that's like they 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 basically like swarmed us, and it was no big deal around the picnic table, and we didn't have you know we should have had things burning or whatever. right It was when we were at the beach, and I sat on one by accident. Ooh. I didn't know it was there and I had my little camping chair or whatever and I sat down and I was like oh yowza and like the whole back of my leg like swelled up oh, in this geez. huge thing and then it took a little while to kind of calm down but in a way that kind of like it was like it didn't the bite itself didn't hurt that much it was afterwards like mm. it was the swelling and the discomfort and it was of course it was a hot on top of that yeah. and you know you're camping and so everything doesn't feel sanitary and, I don't know I just kind of Yeah, sticky and nasty, and I just kind of, I don't know, just the idea of doing that again doesn't really appeal to me. (laughs) But the idea of going camping does. Yeah. Like being out of the city appeals to me. Um, Getting stung by wasps, no. Outhouses, hot, no. (laughs) Um, And, you know, when the party kids roll up with all their boom boxes and stuff, also no. And the influencers taking all their pictures, uh, (laughs) also no. Um, oh, but yeah.
1: Okay, can I, can I just relate <laughs> another quick anecdote about those last two points? Um, so mm. something, uh, something I thought was really funny a couple of years ago, uh, I took a trip to San Diego with my dad and, um, we went to go see, uh, something arches or something arch. I can't remember. It's like this big kind mm. of lean off rock point, a very dramatic, um, like razor thin kind of rock precipice that of course is a very popular, um, tourist photo spot. So there was two things that were, I'm not going to say shocking, that's too dramatic, but very surprising and and strange to me when I went hiking in the States compared to, um, you know, just going in the in the back country here or whatever uh, around town. Yeah. Um, the first thing I thought was really strange was that, like, almost everybody had music going. Everybody was blasting music on their phones or on, like, some sort of portable boom box or whatever, just kind of, like, walking. And I was like, holy fuck, is this ever, like antithetical to the experience that i want out of (laughs) being here today like this is so brutal and then the Mm. other funny part of that was just like going up and and getting up to the kind of um goal of this hike so this this face and then being like oh shit if i want to get this picture taken here i'm gonna have to wait in line with all these other people for like 20 minutes because again like Mm. you know someone gets up there and then they've got to take their like Influencer photos their different yoga poses and whatnot and like mm-hmm. get their weeks worth of content for the gram um, and Yeah, and I think that like we were kind of In and out in like four seconds getting pictures done and I felt a little bit silly, mm-hmm. but I'm still glad I did wait But uh, yeah, it's just it's mm-hmm. just kind of kind of funny um, Especially the the music thing that was really strange to me. I didn't get that
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I I'm realizing too that I'm really even though I'm hard of hearing and functionally deaf in my left ear Loud noises, um, invasive noises, other people's music, especially if it's shitty music, <laughs> um, I can't take it. Yeah. And so you're right, like in the natural world is when you expect to hear birdsong and quiet and the sound of, you know, crunching feet. on Exactly, you know. yeah um, on the ground and, and to you know, have the, the <laughs> ns, 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 ns. like, it just, 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 just doesn't work for me. Right. I, I even kind of catch myself giving a bit of side-eye to folks cause it's really popular here. A lot of people ride their bikes in Vancouver all year long, but now people have, you know, taken to putting little boom boxes on their oh, yeah, bikes
1: yeah,
0: yeah. they're just, you know, like rolling along and just like, come on, man, can you just like, listen, but. each their own of course and like the buddha says live and let live (laughs) and all that but yeah when when it comes to being out in nature i want to be out in nature not at a club
1: (laughs) i i kind of get the bike the bike box whatever yeah bike box let's call it that uh thing because um you know it's nice to have music when you're when you're riding or commuting whatever um, but then having headphones in is of course, like the the world's a dangerous place for cyclists already. And yeah. having headphones and kind of limiting your awareness of what's going on around you is, it just makes things more dangerous. Um, and that's not to say I haven't rode with headphones in. I, I do it a lot, but usually kind of like take them out when I'm getting to the city uh, part. Like a lot of the pathways, the way Calgary's set up, I can get actually quite a ways just on the pathway network, which is nice. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so, like, I kind of get wanting to have your tunes with you. But, yeah, it's just the the, the net sum of that stuff is, like, a, a tragedy of the oral commons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> tragedy of the oral commons, yeah. So, I, I guess that's it. It's, like, when you're in shared space and, like, to me, the, everything that's going on around me can feel really invasive. Yeah. Um, and. And I, and I get really flooded by the emotions. And that's something I was reading about this weekend is um, specific to, uh, to ADHD is like the flood of emotions mm. that happens and how they're not, um, they're not manageable, even, even sometimes with, uh, you know, like taking a breath or, you know, counting to five or whatever, sometimes it just, it comes over really suddenly and often in situations, for me anyway, that are really inappropriate, like it's not a good place to cry, it's yeah. not a good place to be vulnerable, that's usually when it hits me. Right. When it absolutely should not be hitting me. Like, it's happened at work, in different work contexts throughout my career, and I'm always mortified afterwards, but it's not like something I've ever been able to really manage, you know? And, you know, the, the, you know, the sort of prevailing wisdom in professional context is don't cry, state your case, be rational. But it's not a rational thing. It's just like this absolute flood, and like my whole brain just gets like rinsed, and whatever hormone it is, I'm not sure if it's cortisol that causes that. But it just like, yeah, I was really thinking about that this weekend because it happened on Sunday, and I was just there was no real trigger except for uh, just my partner and I sitting in the in the balcony farm, you know, just like hanging out and. He just said something about the tomatoes, and I, I had to go inside and cry, and and it wasn't even about the tomatoes; mm. it was something else. Mm. Um, as Mother's Day tends to hold a lot of uh, complexity for me, and and I I didn't realize that I was just getting flooded with the emotion of that, and I had to I had to feel the grief of it, and I had to just allow it, and and I did for however long it took, and then I felt better, <clears throat> um, and we went for a long walk and. Asvaldo bought me some Mother's Day earrings, which I'm wearing today. Oh, nice. Kind of, pretty, little yeah.
1: kind of a fan, or is that a ginkgo leaf?
0: I, they almost remind me of a whale tail. Oh, um, interesting. But yeah, it's a, it's a little guy on Vancouver, or sorry, on Granville Island, um, Hidden Gems. He used to be an East fan. He's a tooler, and he mm. makes makes all the stuff himself. And anyway, it was just ended up being this really lovely experience. And yeah, I don't know if that ever happens to you, where you just like, everything's fine, and then it's just not. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? Where you just get flooded.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was actually, so I've been listening to some of the old episodes lately. And um, mm. and yeah, and I was listening to the RSD one the other day. Uh, and yeah, mm. that was a big thing that we talked about there was just going zero to 100. Uh, I think at the drop of a hat was my phrasing. Um, yeah. And yeah, just like, and and um, especially if, I, I think when it, what happens is it's kind of like, you know, there are so many similarities between ADHD and autism, and it's that mm-hmm. you get hit with that overload because you've been masking all day. Like, you've you've been doing a good job of managing your emotions all day long in all these other situations and being like, okay, yeah, like, you know, whatever um, – I went through the drive-through and my Coke is like half water because they didn't fucking change out the concentrate pack. And that sucks. And like, you know, mm. so like, so like I got a little bit upset about that, but I was like, no, that's stupid. Like, it's a silly thing to get upset about. Put that away. And so you kind of have a bunch of these little kind of things that are, you know, they're, they're like, a, I guess negative or, or whatever or perceived as negative, um, but you... Can kind of put the brakes on long enough to say okay let's react to this in like a rational way but then mm-hmm. um at a certain point you kind of uh whatever the language you want to use run out of juice run out of spoons um and it's just mm-hmm. like well now i don't have the capacity to regulate on anything anymore and the kind of mm-hmm. sum of all of these things that i put aside comes out in you know like a big way for a short time usually um mm-hmm. but but intensely
0: yes very intense um yeah and, and, and it's uh and it, it is always interesting to me like how quickly it passes yeah. like as soon as i allow the emotions to come up and really fully feel them grief is like that for me i have to really it you know it, it's it's ugly crying there's like sobbing yeah, and too. like hiccuping and like like just racking sobs and um but then once i release it and allow it to move through my body i always feel better mm-hmm and you know even my partner will remark like you know it was only like half an hour ago you were in total despair and now you want to go for a walk and yeah. I'm like yep and, and and thank goodness for that in a way because it doesn't it doesn't tend to like stick around for me yeah uh, which which I'm grateful for that has um in some situations but not lately and I I I think that that's something to not be happy about but I guess just to be grateful for that yeah. like I said yeah um but today we were going to be talking more about person first language. People, people first language or person first language? I think it's
1: I think it's both. I mean, just kind of depending on mm. on whether you're referring to more than one person, I guess. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> uh, and what the, you know, some of the information that you sent me is just really interesting because it's, it this is all quite new to me. And so maybe you can share a little bit of what your thoughts are on this because it's sure. pretty yeah pretty juicy stuff.
1: So, um, PFL is, is really interesting to me because it's something that pretty much paralleling the course of my lifetime. I was born in 82 and, um, people first language kind of started to, uh, come to not come to the forefront, but definitely to be advocated for, uh, as early as 1983, um, with the AIDS community. And that Mm. was a, desire to not be portrayed as victims or as AIDS victims all the time in the media. And to say, these are people with, with full, rich, holistic lives and to reduce them to uh, a victim doesn't do those people a service. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so in there, so 83, um, the AIDS community started to advocate for people first language and, Mm -hmm. um, there was basically some pushback, not, not pushback necessarily, but a non, non-adoption within certain communities um, who kind of understandably see their, quote, disability as part of their identity and, and, and um, integral to their identity. Uh, and that's uh, one of the earliest groups mm-hmm. to kind of center their identity that way was uh, deaf people. And mm-hmm. that of course, is really interesting because that is a case where um, even though they are, quote, disabled, as in they don't have access to a sense that normal people, quote, normal people do, um, Hmm. there's such a rich culture around deafness, um, around the, uh, you know, um, sign language, uh, the way that people kind of share information and, there is so much like, a, like of a shared experience culture built around that, that it makes a lot of sense that by centering the person, as, like a person with deafness or a person who's hard of hearing, I can see how that would be like, well, no, I'm a deaf person. This is a like a capital D. This is this is a big part mm-hmm. of who I am. And this is formed who I am because I don't know any other way. Um, and there's a lot of kind of parallels with that to the language around ADHD and autism now. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, again, something where I've seen basically a 360-degree shift in the course of my lifetime where you would say uh, an autistic person, um, and then that was turned around, no, we got to center the person first. And now it's kind of come back full circle with uh, identity-based language um, because, again, there is such a rich culture and a shared experience around um being an autistic person uh that it makes sense to kind of center that identity um rather than treating it as a disability by putting the person first so it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. like there's still a lot of um it's very context dependent uh some mm-hmm. groups prefer identity first language some groups prefer people first language um so something like say uh, you wouldn't, you, it, it, you don't talk about drug users. It, it's people who use drugs. And that I think mm. is, is something where I don't know if there's a movement to reclaim drug user as an identity language, but, uh, I'm not aware of one. And that's something where I can certainly see like, yeah, this is, this is, uh, a, it makes sense to kind of center the person in this way still, because that's, there's not a good connotation to drug Mm. user, because it is a a completely stigmatized thing. Whereas, you know, if there's, if the perspective has changed over time, like with say something like deafness or autism, um, yeah, it it makes sense that like, you know, it devalues me to put my, this thing that is so integral to my identity second, when you're talking about me.
0: Right. And that, and that is, um, I, I really appreciate that because it's, You know it is putting the person with the lived experience um, putting um their their needs and their desires first like this is how i I want to be identified Mm -hmm. right um and and yeah the article that you sent me uh from the woman based in vancouver here i thought was excellent um we'll put her article i think in the show notes but Mm -hmm. she really described i think very well um what, what what that means right like so Rather than kind of like top down, and this is this is how we this is how you are, letting the people who actually have the experience choose how they're going to be identified, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm still kind of figuring that out, even in my own experience. Um, you know, when I was when I was looking for work last year, um, I always put in my cover letter that I identify as a person with a disability. Um, and now I'm kind of rethinking that because I would say I, I identify as a person with profound hearing loss. However, I'm, you know, fully capable of the task required this position or whatever it was that it said. Um, and now I have this kind of additional thing of the ADHD. Uh, but in Canada, most people don't disclose that because accommodations are not legally required as they are in the U.S. Uh, so that's a whole other thing. Um, and so I'm not even sure how to describe it sometimes in my own experience. Right. Uh, am I a disabled person? Am I disabled? I'm I'm definitely hard of hearing. Uh, I, I used to really even struggle with saying that, you know, or I have profound hearing loss. I'm still kind of navigating it. Uh, and it's not exactly clear to me yet. I do feel that I, I should take some sign language classes more, more out of a, of a curiosity of wanting to learn what that is. And like, and and have that as something to fall back on should my right ear decide to go because it might Um, and also just for the sense of community that um, is built up around it but yeah the uh, the idea that you know medical experts with no lived experience are the ones like you know kind of forcing these labels on people I think is quite flawed you know, and, and as a woman, you know, there's nothing worse to me than a male gynecologist without a uterus telling me what my experience is. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you don't, you don't know what this is like, buddy. You have no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it is a really interesting topic to me. And something else that uh, that came up on Twitter, of course, because there's a lot of conversations around neurodiversity mm-hmm. on Twitter, um, is that even that term neurodiversity doesn't just mean um, ADHD and autism. It also means Tourette's, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dyspraxia. Um, and and I knew that, but I think sometimes it's easy to lose track of that. Mm-hmm. And some, so sometimes I find myself using neurodivergent as a synonym for ADHD mm-hmm. instead of re- remembering that it is an umbrella term. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you have given that any thought.
1: Um, I... It's interesting because I was kind of aware of that. Um, I think you're right, though. I kind of tend to use it as shorthand for my own experience rather than kind of considering that it does include things like uh, anxiety, depression, OCD. But, of course, there are so many comorbidities with all this stuff um, that, you know, Neurodivergent, I, I think, is actually a really useful umbrella term, um, because you're not, you're not wrong to say you're neurodivergent, um, mm-hmm. using it as a shorthand for your own experience. Um, but yeah, but just recognizing that yours isn't the kind of be-all, end-all of what that means.
0: Right. Yeah. And that, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, intersectionality there, right? Like mm-hmm. There's a lot of different groups that uh, are not getting the same amount of attention, uh, or conversation around, uh, their experience, um, because they're not as say vocal or, um, well represented. Um, and I think that's something to really, um, to bear in mind too, because, you know, somebody I was talking to the other day said, and there, there's a whole book written on this. I think I've mentioned her before, uh, Divergent Minds, Janara Nuremberg yeah. is her name, um, in, in learning how to live in a world that isn't designed for you. So in general, the, um, quote normal world isn't designed for for brains like ours yeah and and how how to the the question that i keep coming back to is like how do i find a way to thrive within this context without losing myself again because i did lose myself last year yeah and uh it, it has been almost a year to the day actually since uh everything blew up at my former employer and and I, I think it's coming up for me right now because of that right um But yeah, I'm working through a book right now called Finding Your North Star, which apparently is like one of the like, premier books her name is Martha Beck. Have you heard of her? No. Um, She's she's been around a long time. I've heard her name here and there. But she's kind of like, known as like Oprah's coach or whatever. Mm. (laughs) Um, And people people like Julia Cameron love her. And, um, and the whole idea is like reclaiming yourself after you've been working to show up in the world based on other people's ideas of who you should be. Um, and so it's kind of interesting, all that stuff is coming up, but I know I often talk about it in our conversations, but you know, when it, when we talk about how we describe ourselves and our language, um, that does matter because in, in certain places it's, it's more, it's more safe to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, um, like I was saying, like in the States, it's, it's, people have to make accommodations, right. But they don't in Canada. Right. So Uh, And I I know there's still stigma attached to um, functioning differently in the world. It's just like the one thing that I just really would love to see is a more holistic way of working that that factors all different types of folks that can contribute meaningfully to the success of whatever organization it is, right? Yeah. Um, It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Um
1: Yeah. So I'm kind of curious because, uh, so I was saying that I've been listening back to old episodes and that's kind of part of what, um, made me want to do this episode in the first place was, was, Mm. uh, listening back to myself and, and realizing that the bulk of my, uh, language is talking about having ADHD rather than being ADHD. Um, Uh and so that's still kind of something that I'm trying to sort out my feelings around. Uh, I don't like, like, being autistic kind of makes more, quote, sense to me as an identity label, Um, if only just because of, like, I feel like ADHD person is a linguistically weird construction. Um, Mm. I think that that's why some people like adhd -er, but that one, I'm not, I don't know how I feel about that one either, because it it almost cutesifies it a little bit too much for my liking. Um, But again, maybe that kind of positivity, even if it is slightly twee, is, is, would be useful for me to kind of like um, reevaluate my perceptions on some of this stuff and kind of like remember the positive aspects of it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind of, because I've also noticed uh, uh, talking about autism um, in past episodes, you know, I've used phrases like on the spectrum person with autism, blah, blah, blah. And these are of course things that, um, I shouldn't say the autistic community because of course no community is a monolith, but, um, some of the talk Mm -hmm. that I see on Twitter is around like, you know, uh, it's really important to kind of like avoid that kind of language because it, um, it, devalues um other autistic people's experiences uh you know kind of using labels like high functioning or aspergers um instead of just saying right. autistic um implies mm-hmm. that autism is still a a, a stigma and also mm-hmm. kind of throws other people who might be nonverbal or whose experience of autism prevents them from participating in quote normal experiences like being in the workforce or whatever um and and kind of like again devalues that experience um so i'm, I'm trying to kind of like get better about that stuff um but i recognize that i'm still prone to slip ups uh so i'm kind of curious what are your thoughts on being like, like do you identify as a person with adhd or as an adhd person and kind of your thoughts about people first versus identity language with adhd
0: that's such a good question. I, I'm, I'm still in it even six months in since discovery. Um, and, and one thing that what you were just talking about really brings up strongly for me and some of the reading that I've been doing, you know, through Twitter and other, you know, sources, because mm-hmm. there was a lot of discussion this weekend, of course, with Elon Musk being on, on right. SNL and, you know, quote adding himself as a privileged white guy with a label that hardly anybody uses anymore. Um, but um, it just what, what I've been reading is that uh, it's and I think this is really important is that it's not a problem to be solved. It's not something to be cured. And I think that's really important. Um, and, you know, I just finished kind of working through this workbook called uh, A Radical Guide for Women with ADHD. And, of course, I only kind of half assed it because I <laughs> had to get it back to the library because I left it to the last minute, which is, you know, classic. Um, but what they end up writing towards the end of the book is like your brain will always be this way it is not is not going to be cured and so that's where I I kind of had to integrate I think that was part of the grief that I was feeling this weekend and even though I know what this is now that um that I have you know an ADHD brain um It doesn't necessarily mean that now I'm going to, you know, take medication and I'm going to be able to, you know, just like show up as a good little worker bee for the rest of my life and never have, you know, errant feelings or experiences again. I'll just always be a good little worker whatever. Mm. And so I I guess my answer is that I don't know yet because, Mm. um, you know, I identify it in my social media that, you know, I think I just say that ADHD Um, The adhd -er one, though, that one's weird to me because I don't know if that's uh, Dr. Halliwell that came up with her, one of the folks that are kind of like, you know, prominent figures in the the discourse about all this, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But I also know there's a lot of folks that really push back hard uh, against his kind of take on things because they find it um, a little too... A little too rooted in a kind of um, shallow positivity mm. and uh and and i have to say that sometimes i agree with that you know even if i if i go to add meg and i read you know something that he's written about you know the powerful aspects of it or how to thrive or whatever and it's like these little bullet points of two sentences of no substance and i'm like give me something more than this man I'm like this is nothing like i it just i feel like that It trivializes it Mm. to me. Um, Even for people that, you know, I think he identifies as having it as well, but Mm -hmm. I, you know, I know that like you've mentioned before that there's all these factions around it, right? And so some people think of it um, as being a very crippling disorder that really, really um, messes with every aspect of their lives. And um, others think of it as something that they could just, you know, buy a day planner and get on with things. And, 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 I think it, you know, it does exist on the spectrum, but you know, for my own experience, you know, I'm open about having it, um, I, but I still haven't, yeah, come up with a way that really uh, sits right for me. Um, I know I mentioned Gabor Mate a lot because I tend to resonate more with kind of the way he describes things, mm-hmm. um, but I, yeah, it, it is still. Still something that I'm working on, I'm still still working on my oversharing because I know that there are going to always be situations where it's not okay to disclose it, um, that it's not safe. Uh, I think that's shitty. I don't think it should be that way. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's not as though, you know, I, I were in a 12-step program and I would just announce my name and say I have this, you know, addiction. It's not an addiction. It's, you know, my brain's wired all differently. Right. Yeah. So that's my long and meandering way of saying, I don't know yet six months <laughs> in. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm coming through this kind of grief thing, but yeah, not, not quite, not quite clear yet on how to, how to describe it in my own life.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Um, mm. I want to double back to a couple of things that you said there. So, um, the no cure thing I think is, is a very very important point to make in talking about this stuff because that's kind of um again in all, uh, all of the kind of autism people autism people autistic mm. people that i follow on twitter um that's again a big part of it is like uh person with autism person with adhd this kind of language does imply that it is a condition and that mm. in turn implies that it is Treatable, fixable, curable—whatever language you want to use—but um, yeah. it's not. It, it is. It's. It's. There are ways to manage some of the symptoms, um, but it is like it's not going away. There's not uh, mm-hmm. some sort of surgery that you can get or a bunch of pills that you can take that are going to rewire your brain so that it works differently. Um, and so that is really kind of where. That's that's where, for me, I'm in an effort to kind of uh, not necessarily accept because I feel like I've accepted that about myself and about being an ADHD person, but in an effort to kind of maybe remind myself of that a little bit better, um, even if only kind of implicitly by using language like ADHD person, ADHD or whatever, um, mm. maybe in time that will kind of like reinforce to myself that like you know, because we're, we're, we've all, and especially people like you and I that are figuring this out later on, there's so much internalized ableism that I recognize in myself, um, yeah. you know, not, not uh, validating my own needs, um, downplaying my own kind of negative experiences and the obstacles that I encounter in the world. Uh, but, you know, like I have a, my, my brain works differently and there's nothing I can do about that. Um, and so that I think that it's it's important to kind of be honest with myself, maybe, about it. Uh, and, and I feel mm-hmm. like identity-first language is, is part of how I'm trying to validate that to myself. Um, and mm-hmm. then the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, it's interesting, you you referred to Asperger's as, Asperger's, Asperger's, I'm not sure, um, as language hardly anyone uses anymore. Um, and this discussion on Twitter mm-hmm. around Asperger's uh, is... Actually, the first that I've heard of... I, I didn't know any of this stuff about it being kind of like... Because I had never thought about it as being mm-hmm. a kind of euphemism for, quote, high-functioning autistic, which in turn, mm-hmm. of course, is also a euphemism. Um, and again, devalues the experiences of other autistic people. Uh, I had no idea that it was literally... Like, Asperger was literally a Nazi who was like, these are these are the good autists that we can... Um, you know, used to our ends. Uh, and and mm-hmm. so, like, that's, I, I had no idea about any of that stuff. So it's interesting to me that that you have the perception of it as being this thing on the way out. And I just, like, I've been throwing that term around for years and I had no idea any of the history or the kind of um, differing perceptions about it. Uh, so that that's an interesting one for me and something that, uh, yeah, I just, like, really kind of had my had my worldview uh, changed a little mm. bit this week around that stuff. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. And then uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Um, but yeah, so so I think that's what's interesting about being able to kind of choose, whether as a community or as an individual, what language you want to use for yourself. Um, I, again, am in the habit of saying person with ADHD right now. Uh, and I don't think that that's necessarily quote wrong um because again it's like that's my understanding of myself uh and you know maybe we're all works in progress but i feel like some of the some of the stuff again i see on the internet about um neurodivergent people policing other neurodivergent people's language talking about their own neurodiversity mm. and their own experiences i find that stuff really really bothersome um i just feel <laughs> yeah. like you know, like I get it. I get the implication, but then it's like, you know, these these are people that you have far more in common than, um, you know, than, than different with. Like, and mm-hmm. so I I kind of I get why you would want to like like learn this and like, oh, holy shit, Asperger was a Nazi. And, like, that, okay, I got to get onto Twitter and, like, fucking word search Asperger's and, like, leave a long comment, copy-paste it in the thread of anyone who posted that word in the last week or whatever. And that's, like, that's kind of how I see some people using Twitter, I feel like. And it's just, like, man, like, I don't know. I Like, we're all kind of on our own paths around this stuff. But, again, I feel Mm -hmm. like, at least for me, um, you know... If I get if if I get this kind of stuff out of nowhere from someone I didn't know talking about my own experiences, especially as as a pretty small account, I have like two hundred followers or something, I, I wouldn't take that and be like, oh, like, you know th- this person is right, I should probably like think about this and do better. I'd be like, Who the fuck are you? Like, <laughs> oh, oh cool, you've been you've been ADHD longer or or at least known about it longer. Like, that's sick mm-hmm. as hell. Like you know, so, so 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 you feel that the best way that you can contribute to the world is to just fucking, you know, do a word search and get mad about people using Asperger's. <laughs> which, you, again, like, totally, once you know the implications of it, um, there's very understandable reasons why a person will want to work to strip it from their vocabulary. But, I again, I feel like if your first encounter with, hey, this is... Quote, "Problematic language," and here's why: is you feeling attacked about it, about expressing your own experiences in the language that you feel comfortable with? And the first thing that happens is like some jack off out of nowhere comes and tells you, "Hey, like stop doing your whole shit." And you know, like again, as a person with RSD, uh, which so many ADHD mm. people are, like that's that's just not that's not how you how you prime that pump to get people to change. It's, <laughs> it's just going on the attack, and and that's something I learned mm-hmm. in. Politics a long time ago is I'll, I'll get I'll never get into fights about politics on Twitter with people because it's like mm. you're never going to fucking change somebody's mind by being like, hey, whatever. This person's a piece of shit and here's why. It's like there, there's ways to give that people that information and hope mm. that they do whatever quote the work is um, yeah. that doesn't just kind of come out of the gate with like a quote tweet slam dunk and that's really what it's about for i I feel like for a lot of these accounts is like it's not actually fucking about educating people or asking people to do better it's it's about getting that fucking dunk off getting that dopamine and like hey here's a person that we can be righteously mad about for a little Mm -hmm. while on the internet and fuck the consequences and it's like i get being righteously angry and Aren't there like mm. a million higher stakes places to put that righteous anger than mm. someone saying uh, Asperger's or a person with ADHD or whatever on Twitter?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I fully agree with you. And, you know, and as we we know, that Twitter is designed for that. It's designed for outrage, it's designed to get people all worked up and agitated, and the algorithms love that shit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like the term, like, slant, what did you call it? Slam dunk, retweet or something like that. on but quote like tweet it's, dunk,
1: yeah. <laughs> quote
0: tweet dunk, that's it. Um, but yeah, it it is. Uh, it it was interesting. I you know I deliberately didn't spend much time on Twitter this weekend because I knew there was going to be a lot of discussion around, um, you know, Musk being on SNL right. um, and. Uh, what I, you know, it is of course problematic that this like privileged billionaire is going to sort of leverage something like that so that he doesn't have accountability. I think that's really awful. Um, but I also think that you're right that people like jumping and pouncing on people that really are just trying to express themselves rather than going after, you know, the people at the top who are causing all the harm and you know pillaging the world. Um, but, but it's easier to pick on a little guy than it is to, you know, speak truth to, to power. Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's less alarming, it's, it's, it's easier to, to bully or to call out somebody or to quote, educate somebody, uh, you know, who maybe has a handle with a couple of numbers after their name, because it's, you know, um, that's, it, it's, there's less risk. In that and you can feel superior and then you can, you know, sort of log off for the day feeling like, I, you know, I did the good work in the world. <laughs> but I think you're absolutely right that there are way bigger, higher stakes things to be uh, dealing with. Um, and like for me, I'm, I'm realizing that, too, because there is always that kind of um, pull to kind of engage with things that get me worked up. And uh, my partner actually and I had a really meaningful conversation about this last week. Because uh, he came home, and I was reading about something on the news or on Twitter that just had me frothed right up. And he was like, "You know, I come in the door, and you're just like, we're trying to have dinner, and and you were like, visibly shaking and a- with rage. Like this isn't all that enjoyable, right? And so we we made an agreement that I was going to cut back on that because it it it's not it's not as though being in that state is actually doing anybody any good, least of right. all me. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, there was a time in my life when maybe I would sort of police people's spelling and stuff, but now I don't uh, fuck that like i I don't care anymore. like I think uh, being genuine and looking out for others is a is far more valuable than whether or not you use Canadian spelling in your whatever right? right who cares um or apost- apostrophes used to be the thing that would make mm. me twitchy like excessive apostrophe use, to be so mad but it doesn't matter right like what matters is how kind you are and how you show up for other people and how you take care of yourself and the and the people that you love like it's not yeah i, I get it though that the dopamine hits come fast and hard when you're like feeling like yeah, man, I'm going to show them, I'm going to show them who's boss, especially if you've been chronically dumped on and bullied in your life. And you know, like the saying goes, hurt people, hurt people, Mm -hmm. right? So if you feel invisible, you're going to do whatever you can to not feel invisible. And even if that means causing harm to other people, so that you'll feel a little elevated um, around things like language and, and like the way that I've been seeing it, and I I was kind of schooled on this too, um, is around the word woman, right? So Mm -hmm. Uh, people were spelling it <clears throat> with an X uh, to try to be inclusive, right? Um, to include trans folks and and every, and every everyone within that. But unfortunately, uh, there was a movement of uh, quasi-feminists, because they're not really feminists in my mind, who were using that word with an X to indicate Y chromosome. So somebody who was born with a uterus, mm. which is absolutely awful and exclusionary. And um, so you don't use that term. I've learned unless it's invited, unless people self-identify as that. So I think the same kind of thing is true, uh, in, in different communities where people say, this is how I identify, then you respect that. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that that should be, um, pretty basic, right. Uh, but for some people it's not because they feel like they've learned, well, this is the right way to do it. And it's like, yes, but you know, if this person identifies this way, then we need to respect that, right? But if, as long as somebody isn't trying to actively remove rights or dignity from somebody, um, then I think that, that then that's fine, in my opinion. In my humble opinion.
1: <laughs> and especially, um, I feel like the language policing thing is really interesting because, uh, and this is my own limited perception, uh, but I feel like there's 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 a, a generational divide on it, which is very understandable because like we said up top, this stuff is literally over the course of my lifetime done a complete 360 from Mm -hmm. one thing to the other thing and back to the first thing again. And so again, um, I, I understand why, say for someone like you or I, who is familiar with this stuff uh with with adhd and whatever but didn't realize that it applied to themselves you would have a kind of like dated or limited lens to look through and and mm-hmm. be using the language that you grew up with and that kind of stuff as as much of a conscious effort uh as you can make to change it's impossible to get it right all the time and especially to get it right out of the gate like again mm-hmm. i was i was listening to the old episodes uh i i Called you Robbie, the first one. Uh, We straightened that out by the second one. And then the fifth, the top of the fifth episode, I slipped into it again. Uh, Mm. And it's just like, or excuse me, I called you Roberta. I slipped into doing that again, (laughs) top of the fifth episode. Um, And that's, again, something where we had 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 this discussion multiple times, but it was just kind of like that kind of muscle memory, for lack of a better word, of like, this is how I've addressed you. And consequently, I can be like, I, I can understand why people would if they've grown up referring to themselves as Asperger's, if they knew what Asperger's is and only recently got the diagnosis. And of course you're getting that information from the medical profession who are definitely still going to use the term Asperger's. And Mm. so again, to then say as a person, through no fault of their own, not having quote the correct or up-to-date language Uh, just going on and like, hey, I'm new to Twitter and talking about my experiences and getting dogpiled by a bunch of people half your age, talking about why the way that you're sharing your experiences is wrong. And here's why, old timer, like Mm. I can see how that would be super alienating. And again, not not the way to kind of get people on side and help them understand that like, you know, here's why this language isn't used anymore or whatever the case is.
0: Yeah. I mean, in, in a way, I'm glad that the, some of that conversation did start to happen, um, you know, because it, it is meaningful and it's important mm-hmm. that um, that people do talk about this stuff and, and to get away from some of the stereotypes, I guess, you know, particularly, I think, in, uh, in tech and coding, people have this kind of idea of what, you know, like the good autistic is, yes. which I think is just so incredibly flawed. And I remember even back in the day um, at our old employer one of the designers that came on, I remember she said during her interview, yeah, I just told them that I have combination OCD and ADD and that just like lit them right up and they hired me. And I was like, oh boy, okay, like that wouldn't happen now. Um, But it's interesting that there is kind of this idea of the sort of like, good good atypical like productive and you know you're kind of geeky and you know you have this sort of like very specific way of eating and dressing but you can code like a motherfucker you know and it's just like come on man like drop the like I just feel like that is it I think sometimes that does more harm than good because uh, it's it's kind of glorifying something that uh, that maybe is not the real lived experience of people you know
1: absolutely does that make
0: sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah, no, yeah and that's why to... yeah go ahead
1: no, I, I totally know what you mean. It's like there's again, the, the, the there's a superpower interpretation of this stuff that I don't necessarily find myself identifying with. And then there's also mm-hmm. again this kind of like, yeah, um, here's here's like you know, I'm not a typical worker, but here's why I'm actually better for the situation in certain regards. And again, I think that there's, um, there's value to recognizing the aspects of being ADHD that make you a different person and better equipped for certain kind of tasks but mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I feel like using it as a marketing point for yourself is weird but uh, you know as mm-hmm. we've talked about before i have trouble selling myself period so <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it's a marketing point i think that's so interesting um I you know i feel like we're coming up on our hour yeah uh, i could talk to you all day there's so many interesting points to this you know
1: yeah absolutely um so hmm I don't know if I have any... I'm trying to think of if I had any Mm -hmm. other kind of specific things to touch on with this. Um, I did want to uh, make one more parallel, actually, which is, again, Mm -hmm. with some of the reading I've been doing about um, body neutrality, fat positivity, uh, this kind of Mm -hmm. thing. uh, That's another one I think is really interesting, is like the kind of distinction between fat and obese, um, Mm -hmm. and then consequently kind of like identity... First language as a fat person. Um, again, that's something where it not only recognizes that being fat does impact your live experiences. You're 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 treated in a different way by the world. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also that it centers it as I feel a more neutral term. Um, I feel like fat is a neutral descriptor, and I understand why it can be hurtful to people who have had it thrown in their face. But again, I I feel like not to draw too coarse of a parallel here, but it's, it's just like a tone thing. It's like the difference between saying like Jew and Jew, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. Like Jewish people are Jews, but like it, 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 that, that word is obviously totally context dependent, kind of depending on who's speaking it and how it's being spoken. Um, mm. and, and so I think that like, yeah, by, by centering, saying something like fat person, again, I feel like it, it treats fat as, as a neutral statement of fact, um, mm-hmm. and also recognizes that there is an identity aspect, uh, rather than saying obese person or person with obesity, uh, mm. again, because there is still so much more stigma around the label obese than there is fat. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that it doesn't seem to kind of matter, um, you know, my, if someone's doctor asked them if they prefer person with obesity or obese person, this is another kind of Twitter thread I saw the other day. And it's just like, it doesn't matter. I don't want to hear the term obese, just fucking call me fat, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Similar to like, you know, so, someone, someone calling someone from Scarborough, a black person from Scarborough, African American, and it's like, well, no, this is Canada like call them black. Like it's, it's fine. It's, it's they're a black person, capital B it's, it's integral mm. to th- that person's identity. Um, right. so yeah. So I think that that's kind of another interesting, like, uh, uh, identity versus people language kind of parallel and that stuff. So.
0: Hmm. And something that I, that I read because I also follow quite a number of, um, uh, body positive, uh, folks on Instagram uh, is that the BMI, the Body Measurement Index, um, was basically based around, like, the white body type, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, you know, quote, medical professionals or, you know, term morbidly obese or whatever is perfectly healthy for one person, yeah, right? Um, and I just think that it, you know, I think we talked about this in the, in the last episode, right, like this idea of, you know, skinny white blonde blue eyed is like the is the way to be is like the thing to aspire to or whatever not even recognizing that there are so many other body types in the world and uh yeah that one that one kind of enrages me a little bit you know like oh my bmi is this or if your bmi is that then you know like it's like you you invalidate somebody's actual body Mm -hmm. you know like their body it's like who they are it's what they you know it's this you know thing that they live in um and that that needs to be protected and respected yeah uh so yeah that that, i think that one's a a key one as well um if that's how people want to be identified then fucking listen to them and don't tell them don't push your language on them oops that was me sounding so boxy, and it's funny because i had a really speaking of this i had a really good chat with my mom um because i realized last week that i had sort of gone off on this kind of rant about you know, women having to diet, and you were absolutely right in that it's not something that she does for her waistline.
1: Mm. It's something
0: that she does so that she'll feel better. It helps um, because she has COPD. It helps if she's carrying less weight. She can breathe easier. It helps her knees. Uh, so um, we she hadn't listened to the episode yet, but I called her to apologize because uh. I realized I was kind of venting on her behalf and it was out of line on my part. Um, so everybody has a different baseline, and everybody has a different. Um, health everybody's healthy is different so right. I, I need to honour that and respect that and not necessarily push my own views on other people so uh, just putting that out there and if there was anybody that was offend, that was hurt by that I do apologise yeah
1: um, so kind of a few things there I guess before we wrap up uh, the BMI thing so that's really interesting um, because you know not only does it is it kind of based around uh a you know white phenotype or whatever you want to call it um but oh shit where was i going with this uh uh oh yeah but also (laughs) even within just that group it still doesn't kind of capture you know uh say, a linebacker or something who is healthy as a horse, but is a physically really big person. Like, they're going to have a BMI that says, get thee to the doctor, um, Mm. when, you know, their blood work is probably off the charts and they could certainly run the mile faster than I could. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, so it's interesting. And that also, I feel like kind of, um, plays into, you were talking before about like kind of the good autistic. And there's also mm. this idea of the good fat person that kind of persists too. Mm. And that is, again, that that idea of the linebacker being a very healthy person, but an obese BMI is a perfect example of that kind of, the good kind of fat, where it's like this person is still active. This person is still, um, can do whatever with their body, but it's a fat body. Um, and, and so I think it's kind of like with the high-functioning uh asperger's whatever labels it it does devalue other fat people's experiences to kind of like um try and play into that culture uh so there's some Mm. reading i want to do when this book comes out in may i think it's a couple weeks uh do you follow Deshaun harrison on twitter
0: Mm-mm, doesn't sound familiar.
1: So, Deshaun wrote a book called um, Belly of the Beast, which is basically mm-hmm. the thesis of it is that fat phobia is anti black racism and kind of here's why. Uh, so, again, it's not out yet. I'm really looking forward to reading it, but I read a lot of uh, Deshaun's essays and stuff. And yeah, just like I've learned so much kind of about like the colonial and slavery mm-hmm. aspects of body politics, but also this kind of. Um, this idea of the word healthy, Deshaun he's got a lot to say about that that's really interesting. And that the idea of health or healthy isn't necessarily accessible to everyone because of mm-hmm. racism, because of economic factors, because of myriad things. And so maybe getting rid of the idea of healthy, not, not that, and this is, I'm not attacking you for what you just said, but the idea of like one person's healthy is another person's unhealthy. Maybe it's just the idea that like, healthy is a privilege as well. And, um, and, and and we need to kind of maybe challenge healthy as the default and most valuable state that a human can be in. Um, because Mm. again, that, that devalues people for whom health is not accessible. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading that one when it comes out.
0: Yeah, that's, again, so well said, Jordan, because I think that is a really important piece, that just because uh, somebody doesn't inhabit a body in what we would, or the mainstream world would define as healthy, does not mean they don't have value and every right to exist with dignity on their own terms. Exactly. I think that's really, really important. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to check them out as well. And like I've said before, Sonia Renee Taylor really helps me um with a lot of this as well i know she's she's um not using instagram as much she's over on patreon now because she was getting shadow banned and mm. more bullshit racist stuff happening there from the from the platforms and the algorithms god damn it <laughs> um yeah well this has been a really good discussion as always it really I has learn a lot
1: Likewise. Yeah. And yeah, I, I did a little bit of research for today's episode and everything. So I had all my talking points written down and I felt that it was uh, <laughs> a nice like kind of um, the best of both worlds where you and I are mm-hmm. still having a freewheeling conversation. But I've got this little bullet list to make sure I don't miss any of the points that I wanted to talk about. So <laughs> my bullets and... are all ticked. How about yours?
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I had, I'd, I'd written a couple notes here, but yeah, this is fantastic. Um, because I, I did kind of come into this conversation more open to learning because it is, it's all new to me, right? So, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: yeah, amazing.
1: If you enjoyed Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us, as does following and promoting the show on social media.
0: A full list of platforms is on our Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash holy shit, I have ADHD. While you're there, why not leave us a voicemail? You can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own ADHD experiences with us at, you guessed it, holy shit, I have ADHD at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes. Bye for now and hyper focus on the positive.